This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. This morning, I want to look at the very basis for what a follower of Christ should be like. Now, I'm not your prime example, so don't look to me too closely. But I want to look to the Word of God in consideration with what Jesus said, uh, particularly found in Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4. Let's read this together. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto them and set him in the midst of them. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And there's the challenge for us this morning. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not see the kingdom of God. That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you say? Seems to be a bold statement. I don't know that that's that bold for Jesus to say, but it's mighty bold to have to listen to. Except ye be converted and become as little children. What Jesus says here is an imperative for us. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, well, why don't y'all consider being this way? It's an imperative. It's a command that Jesus gives us. And there are similar commands that we'll talk about here in a little while. But let's break this down a little bit. To be, to be converted demands a change. You're converted from one thing to another. The life you were previously living, you're now no longer living like that. There's been a change. So that's a conversion. Um, when we're converted, Jesus emphasizes here that we are to become like little children. Now, I don't know. The first time that struck me and I thought about that, I want to become like a little child? It seems so backwards. It's upside down, right? And, and in some ways, I guess it is. Um, but brethren, we're either converted or we're not. And to be converted, except ye be converted, Jesus says, and become like little children, it becomes an imperative that we become like little children. Now, what are we talking about? I'll come back to that in just a second. Jeremiah 6 and verse 30 says this. Now I'm going to get there. Reprobate silver shall men call them, because the Lord hath rejected them. What was the prophet saying here? The people he's speaking of, of course, the children of Israel, he says, reprobate silver shall men call them. Rejected silver. In essence, God is saying they're not the genuine article that they show to be. They're not who they say they are. Right? We might call that a hypocrite today, right? If we're just going to be blind, I mean, that's what it is. We're not the genuine article. We're a counterfeit. We're fake. We're rejected silver, not the pure silver that we are to be. And we as well are either converted or we're counterfeit. Conversion demands a change. So I'm going to ask the obvious question. Have you changed? 
since becoming a Christian? Has there been a change in your life? I certainly hope so. But it's a fair question. We ought to ask ourselves that same question. And so since you became a child of God, has there been this drastic, radical change in your life? You have changed from something you used to be. You're no longer that way. You're now a disciple of Christ, which demands upon us a total different life, a different lifestyle. <coughs> Pardon me. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 <clears throat> Paul wrote this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's the change. I want you to think about this. Here's how drastic the change is, really. This is how drastic it is. Ephesians 2 and 3 says, it were, We were by nature the children of wrath. By nature, that's who we were. But 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. No longer the children of wrath, now the children of God. Because of conversion, that's the change that has happened in our lives, right? Once glorying in our shame, Philippians 3.18, but now glorying in the cross, Galatians 6.14. Once fighting against God, Acts 5.39, but now fellow laborers together with Him, as Paul states, 2 Corinthians 6 and 1. The command here is for us to be converted and to become like little children. I think we're clear on that. I think we've well covered that. This is a, a, something kind of interesting in language anyway. You would call this a paradox. A paradox is, it has nothing to do with the lake and boats and two docks where boats might be found. A paradox in language is something that seems really absurd, maybe even self-contradictory when you first look at it. But after a closer look, you begin to dig into this a little bit deeper and see a broader picture, and the truth comes out of this. For instance, Matthew 10 and 39, whoever, I think I've got that up there, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That seems absurd on the surface, right? But there's a truth in that when we follow after Jesus. A couple of more, Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. You see, it just seems like polar opposites that it's talking about. But in Christ, that's the change that can take place. To become rich, we become poor, we read about. To be exalted, we must first humble ourselves, you see. And so even in this context, in Matthew 18, our text here this morning, to become more mature as we ought to be in Christ, we must become as little children. And so Jesus, as He speaks here, He's not simply offering a suggestion to his disciples, this is a commandment. Uh, something about the Word of God that struck me as I was looking at this, I, I ran across this verse in Psalm 33 and verse 9, but listen to what it says. The psalmist says, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's what his commands ought to do in our life. In all of creation, and everything that God commanded and created and commanded of creation... Its response was to simply obey, be obedient, 
to what God said. He said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. I mean, it's there. All of creation responds to God just as He wills. Except for mankind. Because <laughs> we're so wise and we, I'm talking mankind in general, but we just don't believe we need a God. God isn't real. He doesn't exist. All of these type of things that you hear about uh, in today's society. Mankind, we're so wise, aren't we? But listen, when God speaks, we need to listen. Just like the light. <laughs> just like all of creation. We need to listen. We need to respond in obedience. What He says to us ought to stand fast, as the psalmist said. It's an imperative here, not a suggestion. Remember what the Father said in Matthew 17 and verse 5, This is my beloved Son, and in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Listen to Him. God is saying, I want to ask again the obvious question. Are we listening to Him? Luke 13 and verse 3, I want to look at, at this word accept. Accept ye be converted, right? That's what the, our text says this morning. Accept ye be converted. Let's look at a couple of other places where this same language is used. Luke 13 verse 3, it says, I tell you, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now repentance is a change. It's a change of heart. It's a change of direction in your life. That's conversion, by the way. It's the same thing. But interesting, he uses the word accept. What does accept mean? It means unless. <coughs> I think we understand that pretty simply, but unless we be converted and become like little children, what? We'll not see the kingdom of heaven. That ought to resonate with us. That's pretty important, wouldn't you say? And in this passage, he uses the same language. I tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If you don't repent, unless you repent, you're going to perish. Look at the next verse. John 3 and verse 5. Except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, unless a man be born of water and the Spirit. It's the same word, same language that's used here. I think we have an understanding of it. So in our text here this morning, it comes with the same emphasis. He says, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of, of heaven. This except means unless. Now I caution you though, as we dig into this a little farther, that Jesus in this context is telling us to be childlike, not childish. <laughs> there is a distinction. And we'll, we'll examine that a little bit. But childlike, to be childlike, not childish. Jesus is not encouraging childishness. He's encouraging and demanding childlikeness. There's a big difference. 1 Corinthians 13 Verse 11, Paul said this, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Paul is saying that childish things need to be put away, right? But Jesus is saying we need to emulate childlike characteristics. Is this a contradiction? No, we're talking about two different ideas. 
of children. Two separate issues. Uh, this needs to be deepened in our lives, this childishness, if you will, uh, as we grow in the Lord. Proverbs 22 and 15 tells us a little bit about childishness. Foolishness, it says, is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, I don't know about you, but the rod of correction drove a lot from me when I was younger. Now, rod might be the wrong word, but you get the idea. There was a lot of correction went on in my life, and it was needful. I get it. I understand it. But the very... Uh, basis of this verse says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Foolishness, childishness. When I think of childishness, I think of things like this. If I like it, it's mine. <laughs> if I want it, it's mine. If I saw it first, it's mine. You ever seen any of this? If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If you have it, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> Childishness though, right? It's just kind of silly when we step back and think about it. Again, the caution is our Lord was not teaching us to be childish. He's teaching us to be childlike, to take on those traits, those characteristics, those qualities that will make us more Christ-like and more godly. So, what are the traits of children? What are we talking about? I want to investigate six different things about children. You can name many more. These are the ones that just rise to the top for me. Number one, children have humility. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't know, I have kids. That isn't always the case. But when they're young enough, they do. And I just want to challenge you on that. Children have humility. In fact, that's what Jesus pointed to when He first uh, said what He said here in our text. Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Never. That's a long time. <laughs> that's a strong word. He goes on, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus began with humility. And really, that's where our relationship with God either begins or ends. It's whether we can be humble before God to accept God's decree, God's, God's commands, what it is that God wants us to do. We are to become childlike. This means we are to be childlike in their humility. And you know, children truly are very humble, until we who are older begin to teach them how to be arrogant and how to be prideful and how to be boastful. They're not that way from day one. That's a learned trait. Oh, it's evil and we're going to sin eventually in our life. When we get old enough, we're going to see it and we're going to break God's commandments. But in the earliest stages, that's not true. Children are very humble. They are dependent upon their parents. They don't provide for themselves. Uh, they don't cook their own meals. They've not developed that I-can-do-it-myself attitude that comes along with time, right? Remember James 4 and 6, again, where James says, God opposes the proud. King James says, resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you. Well, I, I think I know about you. But 
I'm dependent upon the grace of God. Are, you, are we not? We need His grace. And this verse, by the way, this is repeated and said a few other times at least. I think of two or three other times right off the top of my head where this same verbiage is used. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You want God's grace? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. It's not about you. It's all about God. Humble yourself. God will not allow you to come into His presence with a prideful, arrogant attitude, I think I can do it myself type thing. That's not who God is. God resists you. You know, if, if I ask you to come at me and take me down, theoretically, if I could stop you, <laughs> I would be opposing you. I would be resisting you, right? I'm going to hold you back. That likely wouldn't happen in reality. I'm just looking at the size of us and the age. <laughs> but that's God. He resists the proud. You can't come into His presence like that. You cannot come before Him like that. You need His grace. I do too. And when it starts with humility, we've got to humble ourselves. And so God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Look at Proverbs 16 and 18, one of our favorites to quote, right? If, if God's been working on you on pride, then you know this verse likely. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that is so the truth. I, if I could begin a list, sort of like Samuel was saying, there's a list of other things, right, that we could talk about. I could go on and on all day long about the things in my life that God has had to humble me over. That I've come to Him like I just have complete control of this stuff. Let me tell you something. Pride goes before destruction and God will bring you down. God will bring you down. He'll humble you in the hopes that you will humble yourself and respond to Him. Obadiah 1 and 3. This is poignant right here. <coughs> the prophet here says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, Who will bring me down to the ground? <laughs> wow. I mean, that is amazing. But we act like that sometimes, don't we? I'm in control. I've got power. I've got control over this. I know what I'm doing, right? Mm-mm-mm. That not only happened to the Edomites here, it's happened to many since then. We become so proud. Oh, how we need to watch children and see their childlike humility and emulate that. Get the scene here in Matthew 18. Think about this just for a second. These disciples here are arguing about who the greatest is in the kingdom. <laughs> and I think of Peter thinking, I told him I'll fight to the death, and I know I will. Well, we know the after story, right? <laughs> he did make an attempt at one time, got the servants here, and then was taught a great lesson by the Lord, right? When Jesus was going through His crucifixion, Peter's following way off at a distance, just kind of watching. But he's not really there fighting to the death, is he? And Peter, thinking that perhaps, I'm the greatest. Jesus knows I'm the greatest because I'll fight for him. John, maybe, 
the disciple that Jesus loved? John said. <laughs> Maybe he thought he was the greatest. Jesus' favorite. Do you reckon they were surprised when he didn't pick one of them? <laughs> he didn't choose one of them. Not one. He called a little child to him and stood him up in the midst of them and said, this is what you've got to become. We need to be more childlike in this quality. I think of, of uh, Pharaoh in Egypt. <laughs> you remember when Moses and Aaron went before him and they stood before him as God's spokesman to tell Pharaoh what God requires of him. He said, to let my people go. Exodus 5 and verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey His voice? Who is this guy? <laughs> That's just profound to me. I can't believe that someone would respond to what God says. But this is Pharaoh who thinks he's got it figured out, right? Talk about a proud and arrogant man. The God of heaven says, let my people go. But Pharaoh says, I'm not going to do it. I don't know the Lord. And furthermore, I'm not going to listen to Him. Exodus 10, a few chapters later, a few plagues later, God asked, how long, to Pharaoh, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? How long? What's it going to take? <laughs> the death of the firstborn? He said, let my people go. That's a great question that was given to Pharaoh. It's a great question for us. As if God is asking us, how long will we refuse to humble ourselves before God? How long is it going to take us to learn humility? How long for me? How long for you? Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let's allow it to motivate us to learn what humility is all about. Number two, children are genuinely pure and holy, if you will. If you want to imitate a child, we're going to have to imitate that child's purity. Just think about it for a moment. His natural holiness. In the Bible, and we're going to talk about this just for a moment. In the Bible, we learn that sins are not inherited. Sin is committed. So children at their earliest ages, they don't know right from wrong. They don't know God's Word. They don't know how it is to violate God's Word and to commit sin. Okay? They don't know. But we learn that sins are not inherited. Sin is committed. I don't sin until I transgress God's Word. 1 John 3 and 4 tells us that. Then have I sinned. And so when I know to do right, but I do wrong then it's sin, okay? Now, will at some point in this life, if we live long enough, we will sin. So will these children. That time will come. Romans 3 and 23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a one of us going to escape that. I want you to notice something just while we're on this. In Deuteronomy 1, Moses said this. 
Moreover, your little ones, which ye said, should be a prey, and your children, which in that day hath no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. What he's talking about here is when God declares that the children of Israel are going to basically wander in the wilderness for 40 years and they're not going to enter into the promised land. Only the ones under the age of 20, the ones that didn't know right from wrong, the ones that didn't know they were sinning against me, you who are sinning against me are going to die in the wilderness. And the young ones who didn't know right from wrong, didn't know evil from good, they're the ones that's going to get to go in to that promised land. They were the ones that were going to receive that promise. There was a time in which the children didn't know. And I propose to you the same is true today. Children come into this world pure and without a knowledge of that good and evil. They will continue to be sinless until that time that they choose to violate God's word. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 29, Solomon observed, This only have I found. God made man right, uh, mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. Right on, Solomon. That, that's the way it is. Here's the point. If we're going to do as Jesus has said here and become as a little child, we're going to have to live a life that is pure, that's holy. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Ephesians 4 and 1, we're told to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And I want to look at what the Scripture says about our calling. Philippians 3 and 14 says it's a high calling. Hebrews 3 and verse 1 says it's a heavenly calling. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9 says it's a holy calling. Our God, who Himself is holy, has called us unto holiness. 1 Peter <coughs> 1 in verse 16, repeating what the Lord had said, Be thou holy, for I am holy. We need to be holy like God is holy. That's what we're called to become. And so becoming as a child is a challenging thing, but we're going to have to learn humility, and we're going to have to live a life before God and man in holiness and in purity. Number three, children have faith. I want you to think about this one. Look, it's wonderful. I loved it when it happened in my family as my kids were young enough. It's wonderful to see a child who still thinks his father, his dad, is the greatest thing in the world. He can literally do anything, conquer anything. Um, I can trust him absolutely. Uh, my older kids were like, uh, like that when they were younger. No, not when they're older. But when they were younger... They believed I could do anything. We had a ledge at an old church that I, I used to go to, about, oh, I don't know, four foot high, three and a half, four foot high. And I'd put my, usually it was the boys, I usually didn't do it with the girls so much, but I'd put the boy up on this ledge, standing up, and tell him to jump into my arms. And when they were young enough, they'd just jump. Absolutely jump. Kind of inside me, the truth known, I was always concerned a little. <laughs> But they believed in me. They knew I would catch them. They knew I wouldn't miss. And luckily, I never did. But you know, then they'd get a little older and I'd say, jump into my arms and they'd look around first. 
and then they'd jump. And then they'd get a little older. I'd put them up there, and they'd look around and go, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh, not happening. That trust, that aspect of trust was lost, right? They knew I was, it was possible that I could miss, I could drop them, they could get hurt. But when at their earliest ages, they trusted me, absolutely. Some of these little children are at that stage. I know, if you haven't ever put them up on a ledge and had them jump into your arms, if they're young enough, do it. <laughs> do it. Let them have that faith in you. Let me tell you something. That's the kind of faith that we need to have in our God. That's the kind of faith Moses had. That's the kind of faith Abraham had that would just jump off wherever God said jump without even any thought for whatever else was going on around them. They trusted God that much. Do you? Do I? I mean, that, that's pretty heavy to think about. Pretty tough. Genesis 18 and verse 14 God asks, is anything too difficult for me? (laughs) Well, it it may be rhetorical. I mean, we understand it, but Jeremiah also gives us the answer. Nothing is too hard for you. (laughs) Nothing. Our God can do anything that He wants to do. (laughs) Anything. He'll even save me. (laughs) I've got stories too. (laughs) He'll reach down and save you. He'll save you. He'll save you. He'll save us. He has. He sent His Son for exactly that purpose. Children have faith. We need to serve our God on a daily basis with that kind of childlike faith that says, my Father in heaven can handle this. He can handle it. Let me show you something. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7 Peter says this in reference to God, Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. That for means because. Cast all your care, all your worries, all your anxieties, all your troubles, all your problems. Cast them on Him. Interesting thing, that word cast. I think of casting like fishing rod casting, you know, and I always want a really good cast. The word actually translated means to hurl, to, to unload it. <laughs> like you would a Frisbee. You don't, you don't just do that with a Frisbee, right? You're going to really fling that thing out there, right? Make somebody chase it or the dog or something. If I'm throwing a baseball from the pitcher's mound, I'm not lightly tossing that ball. I'm throwing that ball, right? It's going to fly. I'm hurling it. These 60-yard passes in football. Hail Mary, they call sometimes. Hurling it. That's what God says to do with our troubles, our sins, our worries, our anxieties, our trials. To hurl them to Him. Unload them on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. Now, how do you know He cares for you? How can you trust that He cares for you? Let me tell you something. The book of Hebrews says he was tempted in all points just like you and me, yet without sin. He knows what we go through. He knows our trials. He knows the burdens. He took that all the way to the cross. 
He knows. Can we trust Him? Do we have faith in Him like the child does the dad? We must be equipped with a childlike faith, a faith that looks to our Father in heaven and says, there is nothing too big, nothing too uh, difficult for Him to do. I'm going to take my troubles and my burdens and my cares and I'm going to give them all to Him. All of them. Let me tell you something. We hold on to the most insignificant things sometimes in our lives that burden us down. And they become the focal point of our life. And it'll be something little. And we worry about that and we worry about that and sometimes, someday later we wake up and it's gone and you're like, why was I worrying about it? It just kind of works out, right? What God says is to cast those worries to Him. Let Him bear them. Let Him bear those burdens for you. That's what He came to do. To lighten your load. To make your load bearable. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Listen to this. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Listen, even our imagination is no match. He is able to do it. What kind of faith and confidence do we have in our God? Number four. You know that children are normally very optimistic? <laughs> Some of us aren't going to like this one. As we like to put our frown on and kind of be the negative one in the party, you know. <laughs> exactly. Children are optimistic. You know, with that last point still on our mind and trusting God. How can we, as God's children, not be optimistic? I just want to ask that. How can we not be optimistic knowing that our God has us? He has our back. He knows what we're going through. How can we not be optimistic? If I really believe that my Father can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, how can I not live this life optimistically? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The, the Bible tells us. Philippians 4 and verse 13. Paul said this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, that's not an egotistical statement. That was not... A statement where he just said, I can do all things, period. He didn't leave it there. His power was not found in himself. In fact, he said, I can do all things, how? Through Christ who gives me the strength. <coughs> Pardon me. Children are optimistic. And we need to be more optimistic as we live our daily lives. You know, if children were not optimistic, they'd never learn how to walk. You watch a child learn how to walk and they might grab the end of a coffee table or a chair or something and then take that first step, right? And they lose their balance and they fall. And if they had the attitude some of us did, they'd just say, put me back in my bed, I'm done. I'm not ever trying this again. <laughs> I have never met a child that didn't try it again. And eventually they learn to walk. Now, that may not be the obvious optimism that you see there, but that's optimism. The get up and go. We're going to fall down. We're going to get back up. We're going to do it again. Let me tell you another thing. Uh, bicycles. There wouldn't be a child 
alive today that ever learned to ride a bicycle if they weren't <laughs> optimistic. With reasonable trust in their dad holding the back of the seat, you know, running along beside them. I had kids over many, many years. I still have a 13-year-old at home. Yes, I'm in my 60s. <laughs> so with that being said, my training of her riding a bike is a whole lot different than me training my older ones when I was younger. Because I can't run and keep up like I used to. And I'm out of breath. But we would not know how to ride bicycles if there were not optimism. You remember the Rubik's Cube? Some of you may remember that. It kind of went dead for about 20 years or so. It disappeared and, and then it came back. And I've seen variations of them today. But that came out when I was a late teenager. And I'm going to tell you, I was too old to believe that I could ever figure that out. And to this day, I've never figured that out. I can't work that thing. I would give it two turns and I'm like, you just take it, go ahead. I had a four and a half year younger brother four and a half years younger than me, that whipped that thing and just learned how to do it immediately. I was about 18, 19. He's 14 or something. He believed he could do it. He did it. I'm just telling you, I never believed I could do it. I wasn't going to figure it out, and I never did. The only way I knew to do it was to peel the little stickers off and replace them in different spots and make it look like it. It's called cheating, right? Couldn't do it. Computers, phones. <laughs> my goodness, my remote control aggravates me sometimes to the TV. Can't get it to do something I need it to do. I got to give it to Janessa. Please fix it. <laughs> and she'll fix it. You know what I'm talking about. No one tells him they can't do it, so they just do. We need to have this kind of optimism. With our God... If God be for us, who can be against us? Right? If our God's in our corner, what are we worried about? We should be smiling. We should be able to live life with full, full of confidence knowing our God has control of it. Number five, I'm going to move along. Children are not materialistically minded. Yeah, think about it. When they get old enough, they do, but when they're young, they're not. I'm telling you, little children do not become obsessed by their possessions until we help them along that path. <laughs> until we teach them that it's great to have things. Great to have things. Just more things. Give me things. Jesus said in Luke 12 and 15 that even when man has abundance, it doesn't consist of his possessions. That's what Jesus said. Isn't it interesting that to become more mature as a Christian, we must become more like a child. The world says, I don't understand that. It looks like a step backwards. But then when we look at children, we see that it's true because they're not consumed of their own lust. Now, this happened multiple times with my many kids. We'd give them a, kid when they were, a, a gift when they were young enough, and they would work diligently to strip that wrapping paper off of it and to rip open that box, take that toy out of there and set it aside and play with the box or the wrapping paper. And it was a going joke. Let's just buy a box or buy wrapping paper for them because he had as much fun with that. Maybe more so than the toy that we had gotten that we seemed to value and they didn't care. They played with the box. 
You've seen that, right? It happens. Yeah, if you have kids, you've probably seen that. Children are not materialistically minded. Not until we teach them by word and by example that they ought to put emphasis on things. Welcome to our society. <laughs> we tend to do that. You remember the farmer in Luke 12? And here really is the point. Jesus said, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. Then I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Sobering thoughts, right? When we leave this world, when we're gone, it really won't matter, will it? Won't matter to us, for sure. He had it all, he thought, but he really had nothing, didn't he? Number six, children are quick to forgive. They are. Have you ever watched your child playing with other children? <laughs> and a problem often arises, right? And they have a little squabble over who's going to play with what toy or whatever. And that's mine, remember? <laughs> and so they, they have a squabble over this and they part for a second and one of them maybe runs off to mom or dad and whines a little bit and mom and dad just kind of go, go play, <laughs> you know. Really don't, don't solve their dilemma that they think they're in. And I'm telling you within, I mean, more times than not, within two, three, four minutes, they're back together playing together. Like nothing ever happened. And I don't know about you, but that's forgiveness. <laughs> when it's like nothing ever happened. And they just go on and carry on like they were doing. That's how they are. I think I remember Jesus saying one time, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While hanging from the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Look, if we're going to become more Christ-like, if we're going to emulate these characteristics of these little children, then we need to be absolutely willing to forgive. Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15 says that if we'll not forgive others their sins against us, our Father will not forgive us. That's how important it is. This should grab our attention. How forgiving are we? Ephesians 4, verse 32, Paul reminds us, Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. This ought to help us forgive when we realize that although we continue to sin, God is willing to forgive. God has a willingness to forgive us. Surely we can be forgiving with others. These are only a few of the attributes we're going to talk about this morning. And like I say, that you could go on with some others. But when we look at a child and what they can teach us, we, we gain such a benefit. We're quick to ignore these little ones. Sometimes they're kind of underfeeding in the way and whining and complaining and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, the childishness stuff, okay? But let me tell you something. Maybe we should not only treat them with love and care and concern, of course, but we can indeed learn from them 
if we will but look to them for their example. And then in turn, when we humble ourselves, when we learn to forgive, when we learn to do these kind of things that we see in children, as they grow older and they're facing and navigating the world and, and beginning to deal with things that we dealt with that had to learn, we then can reciprocate and train them and teach them to be the type of people that they need to be. It's a beautiful circle of life almost in, in the church where they can teach us and then we can teach them. Uh, that's what I have to share with you this morning. I hope that in these examples or examining of, of children that you can see the sides of them that we could look at and actually learn from. And that's what Jesus says for us to do. Unless we are converted and we become like little children, we'll not see the kingdom of God. And so it ought to strike an importance to us. And I hope that you can take these things and, and learn from them and apply them to our lives. Um, if you are subject to the gospel or any need that you may have that the church can assist you with, we stand willing and ready and able to assist you in any way that we can. Come while we stand and sing this song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.